each one that participated in our service this evening. And thank you all for your fine singing tonight. Tonight we continue with looking at uh, some introductory material to the uh, book of Revelation in order to get, again, an overview of, it, of its structure and uh, how it's put together. Uh, we begin by looking at the fact that John is commissioned to write to the seven churches that are in Asia. Revelation 1, 9 and following. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and the Laodicea. I had mentioned to you that some people take those seven churches as to be seven periods of history, but I would point out to you that this verse in verse 11 says, uh, send it to the seven churches. Not only was he to write, but he was to dispatch and be sure that uh, copies were sent to each of these seven churches. So again, that's more demonstration of the fact that these are churches that are indeed in existence in John's day. John is then given a vision of Jesus, Revelation 1, 12 through 16. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And amidst the seven lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. The individuals identified as Jesus in chapter 1, verse 5 and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. So this vision, this person that is described in verses 12 through 16, is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. John is commissioned once again to write. Verse 17, when I saw him, I felt his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first, the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. The vision is then interpreted for John. The seven stars represent the angels of the seven churches. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven, seven golden lampstands, the seven stars 
are the angels of the seven churches. The seven golden lampstands represent the churches themselves. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Jesus' sovereignty over the seven angels and the seven churches is depicted by his holding them in his right hand. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. Then uh, some observations. First, in seeking to understand the book of Revelation, it's extremely helpful to keep track of any explanations of the symbolism that is supplied by the text. So as, as we read the visions, as we read these symbolic portions of the book of Revelation, a number of times there are elements of those visions that the scripture itself interprets for us. That, of course, is extremely helpful, uh, for we can say then with certainty what, what that means. So that is uh, very, very beneficial. So as a way of mastering the book of Revelation, it's a matter of going through and looking for any places where the Bible itself interprets for us what the particular vision means, or at least what elements of the vision are revealed to us. Secondly, it is very helpful to see the structural connections that are present throughout the book. Uh, so we look for recurring uh, phrases, we look for reoccurring thoughts, uh, we look for uh, things that are repeated throughout the book. So tonight, what we're going to do is just look at what is held in common as these letters are sent to the seven churches. There are shared characteristics. There are things that appear in relationship to each church. And so uh, I'm just going to make that as an observation tonight, as an introduction to this section on the seven churches. There are things that are held in common. First, the messages begin with a distinctive description of the Lord Jesus Christ. A description that is based on the revelation of Christ in chapter 1. Now we're already told in chapter 1 that this individual, the Son of Man, the one with the white hair, the one with the brazen feet, etc., the text told us that's Jesus. So now as we look at this portion in Revelation chapter 2, we're going to find that Jesus is introduced in each of these letters of the seven churches by a phrase that comes from the revelation or the vision that was just given in chapter 1. So I'm just pointing this out to you uh, tonight. How <clears throat> what is given to us as a vision in chapter 1 is now given to the churches in partial form in chapter 2. So, for example, Revelation 2.1 concerning the church at Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Remember, Revelation 1.16, in his right hand he held the seven stars. So here is the vision, and then here is the reference to it in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To Smyrna, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last, who died 
and came to life. Revelation 1.17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. So again, we know definitively it's referring to Jesus and it's referring to a part of this vision. Revelation 1.5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, uh, which uh, uh, <clears throat> is referred to in Revelation 2.8, where it says the, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Pergamum, uh, write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Revelation 1.16, in his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Thyatira. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God. Okay, now we are introduced to Jesus as the Son of God, for it's the same individual. So now we have this interpretation that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, which doesn't surprise us, but it's another authentication as to who Jesus is in the book of Revelation. He's the Son of God. So, uh, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and is, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Revelation 1.14, the hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, to the church at Sardis, and to the angel of the church of Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Revelation 1.16, in his right hand he held seven stars. To the church at Philadelphia, uh, and to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the True One. Again, more description of Jesus, who has the key of David. Revelation 1.18, and the living one I died, behold I'm alive, I have the keys of death and Hades. So now we have an interpretation of what the key of David means. It means to have keys over death and Hades. Laodicea, and to the, church, uh, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Revelation 1.5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. So observations. Number one, our understanding or view of Christ is pertinent to the spirituality and health of the church. What I'm saying to you here is that this vision is given, but it isn't given just for the sake of curiosity. For after this vision is given, it is referred to, uh, in part, and in different parts, to each of the seven churches. So we would assume that as we look at these seven churches, and I will spend a, a night on each one of the seven churches, we'll be going through it verse by verse, but we would expect that there is some relevance to what Jesus has to say to the church with the revelation that he gave of himself. So if we want to understand what this means, you know, by the brownish feed and so on, we ought to be looking at how does that reference fit with what he's telling the church in chapter 2. 
So that becomes a, a way of going back and looking at this vision. And what I'm trying to point out to you is that that's almost the way you have to work your way through the book of Revelation. Always going back to look at how are these visions referenced elsewhere and what can you learn from these other references and take back, if you follow my drift. So we're going to be looking at what is the significance that these references to Jesus in this symbolic language has to the churches. What are they to learn from those references? How is that to encourage them? How is that to help them? How is that to rebuke them? What is it that they are to think about as they think about Jesus in this light? Number two, the activity of Christ provides us with encouragement and strength to follow his commands and to glorify him. <clears throat> Number two, the messages each begin with the expression, I know. So in the book of Ephesus, I'm, excuse me, in, uh, to the church at Ephesus, Revelation 2.2, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. To Smyrna, I know your tribulation and your poverty. To Pergamum, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Thyatira, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and your latter works exceed the first. To Sardis, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. To Philadelphia, I know your works. Laodicea, I know your works. So observations. Number one, Jesus, who is sovereign over the churches, is well aware of their situation. He knows. Included in that knowledge is the church's circumstances, troubles, victories, defeats, and overall spiritual health. So he knows all about the churches, what they're going through, how they're responding to what they're going through. Uh, therefore, he is able to make an accurate judgment. Therefore, he's able to speak that which is true and right. So what he says about these churches is reliable because he knows. He knows. So the emphasis is that he knows. Number three, Jesus is able to accurately judge the condition of the church because he knows. Next, the messages offer a promise to the individual that conquers. So I'll just read the underlying portions. To the church at Ephesus, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. To Smyrna, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Pergamum, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. Thyatira, the one who conquers, I will give authority over the nations. To Sardis, the one who conquers, will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. To the church at Philadelphia, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And to Laodicea, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Observation. The struggles that the church's faces, uh, that should be face, are many 
and varied. Number two, there is a blessing in remaining faithful to Christ and overcoming the obstacles that we encounter to faithful service. Number three, those blessings are described in a variety of ways. We'll want to pay special attention to those varied blessings. So there are certainly a lot of commonality in those uh, promises of blessing that will be had to conquering, but we're going to want to look at, in each of those seven churches, what is it that they are conquering? What is it that they are being victorious over? And then what is the blessing that's associated with that? So that we would receive encouragement and help as we look at the struggles that we face. Uh, we're going to see that we, we face many of the very same struggles. And so what is the anticipated benefit of conquering, remaining faithful in the midst of those struggles. Number four. The messages contain the expression, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, Ephesus. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Smyrna. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Pergamum, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thyatira, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Sardis, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Philadelphia, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And Laodicea, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So observations. Number one, what is intended to be, what is intended, excuse me, I'll read, I'll read what's here. What is written to each church is intended to be a lesson to everyone, for they are encouraged to listen to the word that is not only directed to the individual church, but to the churches. For each one, it, says, it doesn't say, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. But it says, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So they are to listen to what God has to say to each of the seven churches. That what God says to each of the seven churches are applicable to each other. So what he says to the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna is to learn from. What he says to the church at Thyatira, the church at Laodicea is to learn from. Therefore, we can deduce that it is very appropriate for us to take these uh, letters to the churches and apply them directly to us. For we are to hear what he says to the churches. So what he says to those churches are in fact directly applicable to us. We're not taking it out of context. We're not spiritualizing by trying to learn lessons for us. That is the intent. We're to hear what are said to the churches. Secondly, which, well, number two is what I just said. Thus is it appropriate for us to be seeking to learn lessons that we can apply to our situation from what is written to the seven churches. Number three, the message and evaluation to the church as a whole. Uh, in each of these seven churches, there's going to be a, a, a general characteristic, uh, a general characterization, I should say, of the church's health and strength. Uh, 
It's going to be said that this church is that. Some churches are, are praised. Uh, one church is not. Uh, so these, these churches are, are going to be evaluated. But what is significant is that they are evaluated as a whole, uh, it, they, as, a, as a body. Uh, it, it, they're, not inva- they're not evaluated on an individualistic basis, but rather they are valued, evaluated as a church, from which we can learn that God views our church as a whole. Uh, as God looks at us, he looks at us as the church in Lebanon. And so we need to ask ourselves, how would God characterize the church at Lebanon? And now we're not asking just about your life and my life, but our collective lives, our witness, our works, our involvements, our activities, our spiritual health. Okay, where are we as a church, as each of these churches are evaluated as a whole. So we need to learn from the churches what we should be as a local church. Next. A. We as individuals are accountable to Christ for what the church does as a whole. For the closing admonition to each church is he who has an ear. So what has been said collectively is now applied individually. So that as individuals, we are to listen to what God says to the churches. We as individuals are to learn from that. So B, in addition, as individuals, we are called upon to hear the Lord's instruction. Therefore, when I consider what the church is doing or not doing, I must consider my contribution to that particular situation. <clears throat> D, I can't ask the question, why doesn't the church, without asking the question, why don't I? We don't have the luxury to separate ourselves from the church. Okay? So that if we find fault with the church, we're finding fault with ourselves. There is no entity out there that is the church. We're the church. And oftentimes people talk and say, you know, why doesn't the church do that? Why doesn't the church do that as though it's some kind of separate entity or organization? Okay? When you say, why doesn't the church, you're saying, why don't we? There is no church apart from us. And so, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. So the, the aspect is that we, we need to individually uh, take responsibility of where we are collectively. Uh, we each play our part in this, whether it be good or whether it be bad. So E, the church, is us. The church is not an entity distinct from ourselves. Number four, collectively, our individual lives characterize the health and status of our local church as a whole. 
So to evaluate the whole, okay, is he looks at these seven churches and says they're doing this or not doing that. It's a collective evaluation. So when the, the church is being evaluated, it's the sum of the parts, all right? It's the, it's the total of, of who and what we are. So we are characterized in a certain way. Tonight, as I, I look out here, uh, very pleased with the amount of people that are here. In our denomination, uh, we have a certain reputation. There's a certain way in which the, the denomination looks at us, and one of them, uh, one of the evaluations is they're always amazed by how many people attend our evening service. There are a lot of churches that don't have any evening service. And they look at that and they say, wow, that's great. And uh, it's, it's incredible to see the commitment that you get so many people out on a Sunday night. Well, everyone who is sitting here is a part of that reputation. How many people are coming is based on every single person who is sitting here. Okay? So that's just one illustration how our individual conduct affects the way in which we are viewed as a, as a whole. The church in the community is going to be viewed by the people that they know that attend this church. So the church's reputation is going to be based upon the people in the community that know you or know the person sitting next to you or know the person that's sitting on the other side of the congregation, all right? But the evaluation of the church is going to be on the basis of what people know about the people that attend. So our, our reputations are, distinct, are distinctly tied together. Uh, I, I think of the, the marital uh, covenant. I, I think of the, the wedding service. And uh, it closes after the, the two have been joined together. Uh, the traditional statement is, of course, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. But let me remind you that you are one in reputation. That the behavior of the wife is going to reflect on the reputation of the husband. The behavior of the husband is going to reflect on the reputation of the wife. They're going to be viewed together. It's going to be a, a way in which the couple is viewed. You're no longer just an individual. So too in the church. It's not just a bunch of individuals. It's collectively who and what we are. So that's number five. The church's reputation is directly related to the reputation of the individuals that comprise the church. Um, those are just some beginning observations uh, to get us started. And then next week, we'll start going through uh, each of these seven churches and find out what God has to say to them, how they are evaluated, uh, why that evaluation is what it is, and what can we learn about our own church in relation to what he says to each of these seven churches.
I have 20 minutes. Is there, is there a choir practice tonight? Okay. All right. I was going to say, uh, I don't give opportunities for question and answer. I was going to do that, but with hearing that announcement... Uh, Oh, yeah, put it on me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, so, so we're going to stop, and then there's going to be a choir at uh, 7, 7.50, and you can get out a little early, which uh, probably not too many people are going to be upset with. All right, let's pray. Our Father, uh, help us as uh, we work our way through the book of Revelation uh, that, uh, indeed, this is valuable to us, that, that we will take it to heart, that as we look at these seven churches, that we would uh, learn uh, from what you have to say to each of these churches uh, for what you would have to say to us. Uh, I pray, O God, that we might be encouraged uh, with the encouragement that you give to the churches. Help us to understand the work and person of the Lord Jesus that's given to us in this vision uh, so that uh, we might be strengthened in our own relationship to Jesus Christ. Uh, Help us in this study, we pray. Uh, Teach us by your spirit, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, and you are dismissed.